All right, it's episode 26, pain points of wealth, and money is pouring into the stock market. Two weeks ago, we had over $58 billion go into exchange-traded funds, mutual funds, and money jammed into energy as the animal spirits are alive and well. How do you play it? What do you do next? Greed is definitely seeping into the market. And what are you doing with your portfolio right now that also speaks to greed? Are you being greedy? Are you being disciplined with your investment strategy? Well, we're going to address all that on this episode. We got a great show for you. So let's hop to it. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey, Ryan, we got this tremendous opportunity. We have this world of high expectations versus the world of low expectations as the good news continues to roll in, there's so much opportunity in the market right now. And a lot of you are just looking at the wrong thing. Isn't that the way it always is, though? It's like whatever we anticipate the most and wherever money's flowing the most at the same time tends to be where we get the least amount of return over time. It's like the great irony of the stock market. You know, whereas we've talked about this week after week, but we've got this impending reopening of the economy. It's coming faster than expected because vaccination rates are going up quickly. Hospitalization rates are going down. COVID cases are going down. And I think what we're not really prepared for here and what we're not expecting is getting out of this pandemic even quicker than anyone anticipated. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is Warren Buffett is selling even more of his Apple stock, not buying into the hot tech trade. And he's buying really exciting stocks like Chevron and Verizon, which are not only inexpensive right now, but also pay a great dividend. I don't know, Chris. I think he's lost his touch because obviously all your money should be in electric vehicles, Bitcoin, they should be in SPACs and anything growth related, IPOs. And you know, I feel like this is almost like a rerun. We talk about this a lot, but markets don't tend to repeat, but they do rhyme. Back in 99, 2000, we use that as kind of analogous of this time frame. People said the same thing about Warren Buffett. He missed the tech boom. He's missed all these dot-com companies. He's irrelevant now. And what we learned later was, is all the companies that Warren Buffett was buying and holding on to were the winners and all the hot trades of the time fell by the wayside. And it feels like, Bob, almost like that's happening again. Well, it is, Ryze. And it's like sometimes the market speaks and nobody listens, but you're seeing commodity prices booming right now. You're seeing interest rates spiking up. And all that's telling you is that the economy is going to recover and it is recovering and there's inflationary pressure. And, you know, because the market sees that these vaccines are being distributed. Now, you're going to hear a lot of negative headlines about, oh, well, you know, they get shut down because of the winter storm and they're not distributing it properly and the states are screwing it up. But, you know, I just saw that Europe secured 200 million more doses just this week. You're not going to sit on those. They're going to distribute them and they're going to get out faster than anybody anticipates. And the economy is going to reopen much more quickly than anybody thinks right now. It's amazing how we just focus on the negative, right? The news just talks about how they're not getting out fast enough. Like fast enough, we just put together several vaccines in less than 12 months and put them through a distribution channel, like probably something that would take 10 years, took less than a year. And all we can focus on is maybe a couple hiccups along the way. And I think that's when you miss the big picture. And the big picture is how quickly this economy is recovering. And that has to be the theme here. You know, forget Bitcoin, forget the fact that 
Elon Musk put $1.5 billion into Bitcoin. You know, I don't want to own Tesla here. I want to own Exxon, man. You know, all through history, Rye, people like to fight last year's wars, right? It's the same thing with investing. Last week, we had $5.4 billion going to technology funds because why? Oh, well, those stocks are way up. I mean, that's not how you invest. You don't buy high and hope it goes higher. Apple just came out with a phenomenal quarter. And what did Warren Buffett and his guys do? They sold some. They took a profit on it because tomorrow's winners are going to be in the energy industry. They're going to be in materials, going to be in industrials. That's the place to go. Well, it seems to make sense to me. I was talking to a client of mine the other day, and he's really gung-ho and buying some more of these speculative stocks, you know, the big tech companies. And I said to him, I said, look, I said, you know, this money is for your future. I said, take risk in your business. I said, put money into something that you know you have control over. Take that money and put it into something valuable like your company and make that grow. And that's where you should take your risk. You know, Chris, I absolutely agree because our strategy is is to own everything, right? There's 10,000, 11,000 publicly traded companies. We own most of them because I don't know what tomorrow's winners are going to be for sure, right? I want to hedge my bets. I want to still have money in growth, but I also have money overseas. I have money in the emerging market. China just hit a new high. India, they're just, they're booming right now. Even Brazil's starting to come on. So you want to make sure that you're not myopic and you have everything in your backyard. You want to have your money in the entire global marketplace. That's what I love about the market. It's always so ironic, or the old saying is, the market does its best to confound the majority. And as investors are still pouring money into things like tech, well, as inflation goes up and interest rates go up, you know, that doesn't really bode well for tech, which is already very, very expensive. Those expensive stocks become way more unattractive when you start seeing inflationary pressure. So really, if you start looking at the next five to 10 years, the road is not paved for tech to do that well based on history, yet that's where investors are piling their money in. It's almost, it's just mind boggling. You're absolutely right, right? I love it. It's just like the obvious opportunity is smacking you right in the face right now. You got 150 million Americans are you know suffering from this horrible winter storm we've had this week, right? So you have this wintry weather causes double whammy for oil prices, right? Demand's rising dramatically, right? Who's going to bed turning their thermostat down right now? You're turning it all the way up and throwing extra blankets on the bed. You have these frigid conditions. And meanwhile, production shutting down in Texas. So what's happened to the price of oil? It's going through the roof. Who benefits from that? Oil companies. You got to invest in energy right now. That's where the surprises are going to come in earnings. So it's going to basically going to benefit you in your portfolio, but it's going to hurt you at the pump, I think is what you're saying. Absolutely, Chris. And that's the whole thing. That's a commodity. Commodities are going up in price. And just think, once we have this vaccine distributed, it's going to be like Florida. I'm down in Florida and all these 65-year-olds are partying like it's 1999. The restaurants are open. People are out. People are shopping. They've got their vaccination. They're not waiting to see what you know the federal government says in terms of guidelines. They're out there spending. The whole country is going to be like that literally in a couple of weeks, not years. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see the whole country start to break out, start shopping again. And when you're driving around, you got to use energy. You're going to use carbon. And we're going to see 20 million barrels a day usage, just like we were this time last year. The only difference now is we all have more money in our pocket. And Bob, I have to be honest with you. I don't remember when you stopped partying <laughs> during the pandemic. I wore triple mask, guys, just, just so everybody knows. All fairness, Bob. In all fairness, you did. Over the past few years, commodities clearly haven't done that great. I had a lot of clients express their concern about having commodities in their portfolio. And I said, listen, I said, the year that commodities really start to do well, we're going to have a commodities party. So I think as soon as the economy opens, I think we should throw a massive commodities party. Well, you see, that's the big conundrum in investing, right? You get bored with what's not going up, but that's where you make your profits, right? Wealth creation 
isn't about being right every day. It's about having the most amount of shares of something before it goes up. It's better to have an investment that goes sideways to down for 10 years and then has a huge spike as long as you're adding money all the time because you're accumulating more shares, right? The more shares you have of something when it goes up, the wealthier you become. Wealth creation is about day-to-day investing and taking it one day at a time, not being right every month, not hoping your stock and your portfolio is up every quarter. It's almost like the anti-momentum trade, right? There's this belief now that you got to ride the momentum. And all you're doing is buying things as the price is going higher and higher. And think about any other marketplace in the world, right? If you're going to go out, you're going to buy a new pair of shoes and the price keeps going up higher and higher, you're going to be less incentivized to buy those shoes. On the flip side, if they go on sale, they're down 50%, they go on sale, you're going to be more inclined to buy those shoes or whatever that you know product is. And in investing, we just do the opposite Yet the same rules apply to this marketplace that do to any other marketplace that you participate in. Well, you know, it's really clear, guys, is that the portfolio of the last 10 years was a real winner if you had a lot of money in growth. The portfolio of the next 10 years is going to be a real loser if you have all your money in growth. Hey, we hope you enjoy listening to our podcast, Pain Points of Wealth. And if you really like our content, don't be shy. Click on that like button. And if you want our podcast sent to you directly every single week into your inbox, click on the subscribe button and leave a comment in the comment section. We'd love to hear your feedback, things you'd like us to talk about. We'd love to engage with you. So don't be shy. Put something in the comment section. All right, gentlemen, it's now the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point, P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Chris and Bob, we have an old saying in our business that is markets oscillate between fear and greed. And with the stock market going up like literally every day now, you can kind of feel greed starting to seep in. And as we know from managing money now for a collective over 70 plus years, when it comes to your money, giving to that desire of greed can end very, very badly. So I thought we could talk about how greed can be very detrimental to your financial health, specifically right now. Hey, Rye, what do you do? You're forgetting Gordon Gecko's famous speech in Wall Street, greed is good. Now, he ended up losing everything and going to jail. Now, I guess greed's not so good, huh? No, exactly right. It's one of these things where I think the problem is right now is when everything's going up, and Chris, you and I talked about this with the client that you have, is you feel like you know, you've know you got to strike while the iron's hot, right? This is the opportunity to create wealth while the markets are going up, get in on the action. But the cruel irony is, and I think that's kind of one of the messages today, there's a lot of ironic things when it comes to investing, is this is when it's the most risky And what we found over time is the best performance comes by missing the downside, not capturing all the upside. And right now, with markets going higher and higher and higher, this is when you have the greatest risk. So if you're not managing your risk right now, and all of a sudden the music stops, which invariably it will, it's those that have protected themselves proactively that end up getting the best performance, not the ones capturing all the return in Bitcoin right now. Well, that's the funny thing about risk, because risk is completely subjective. I have clients now that are completely risk averse in any other time, but they're wanting to be more aggressive in their portfolios and take more risk just because from their perspective, there's no downside. But what they're not thinking about is what happened back in March or even back in 2008. It's like they have a very short memory. Yeah, it was only a year ago, guys. We dropped 35% in five weeks, but somehow that's no longer a possibility in a lot of investors' minds. (laughs) But the problem is, When it comes to investing, and I've been doing this for 46 years, investing in the markets, observing the markets, observing investors, more importantly, and it's all this this idea of scarcity, right? There's only so much return to be had. 
And, you know, before when we were going to cocktail parties or getting together and we're with our neighbors and our family, you know, we would have this, oh my goodness, you know, that my brother made a killing in Bitcoin or, you know, somebody else, my neighbor made a killing in Tesla. I got to get my piece of the action. Well, we're not getting together to talk about that now, but now we have message boards and we have social media. So now you have millions of people now telling you how they're making a killing in the market. And that forces you to become more greedy because you're like missing out and you don't want to miss out. Well, the other thing too, to think about this is, and this is really more of a baby boomer issue is, and I talked about this in the past, it's like you can afford for that market to go up tenfold from here. No problem, right? You can afford all the upside in the world. We all can. But what we can't afford is when the market goes down 50, 60% and you get caught holding the bag. Now that has a detrimental effect on your lifestyle. Now I'm going to, I'd argue if the market went up tenfold, 15 fold from here, most of us probably wouldn't change our lifestyle anyway. But again, if we lost our capital, we lost our principal because we invested it too aggressively. And then we had to live on a lower income. Now that stinks. <laughs> you know, that's the risk here. Now, Ryan, it's like that client back in the 90s who uh, has sold their business. They made a killing. We had them very conservatively invested. They were set for life. They had a portfolio of municipal bonds that had a current coupon of 5 6% tax-free. But their cousin had made a killing in tech stocks. So they fired us, took their millions, put it in the Janus funds, which is the ARC funds of today, by the way. And they said, oh, we're diversified, Bob. We bought six Janus funds. Well, it turned out the Janus funds in 1999 had all their money in the same six tech stocks. So they ended up losing 60% of their net worth in a period of one year because of greed. Now, the irony of this is when they called us to come back, they no longer met our minimum. They lost that much money. They could even open up an account with us back then. The bigger issue I see with that is that there's no time for that money to be made up. They don't have enough of a time frame or enough runway to catch up at this point. So it's kind of a double hit. They lost all the money, but then just looking at facing the facts is that they don't have the amount of time to make it up. And I think the other part of this problem here too, the closer you get to retirement or if you're in retirement, the stakes just get that much higher and you have to make less mistakes. So the pressure is really on. But I think the other misconception right now, and I see this more with my like Generation X. Well, hold on a second, Rod. Before you move on, I just I have to make a point here. Just another indication that youth is wasted on the young. You know, we should have as baby boomers the opportunity to make it up, but we don't. So again, you know, youth is wasted on the young. Well, you know, talking about the youth wasted on the young, we'll go maybe not youth anymore, but generation X millennials, I've seen this issue is there's this belief that you're going to know when the top is in. Like you're going to be able to figure out when the institutional money is all in, the retail investors are all in and things are going the other way. It doesn't work that way. It always catches you off guard. That's the tricky thing about markets. That's the tricky thing about the stock market. The other crazy thing is Wall Street's going to be all in. When we're at the top of this thing, Wall Street's going to be telling you that's going to keep going up forever. So when we're the most diluted, that's typically when the markets sell off. And you can never predict that ahead of time, even if you think you believe you can. You know, I absolutely agree with you, Ryan. I had one of my favorite clients, great-grandson, call the other day said, hey, Bob, got to help me out. My Robinhood account was shut down. I need to buy some GameStop. And it was at $400 at the time. And I said, well, that's the problem. We can't help you buy GameStop because we don't allow people to commit financial suicide. So I hope his Robinhood account didn't get open again because he literally didn't believe that there was any downside risk. Well, to Ryan's point, it's kind of like climbing a mountain in the fog. You don't realize you've reached the top until you're tumbling down the other side. Well said, and I think I want to change our tagline, Bob, to pain capital management. We help you prevent financial suicide. 
Bob, Chris, and I have now spent a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over a half a million dollars and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, what underlying risks you have in your portfolio. We're going to break it out for you. We're going to put together a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. Hey, if you like our podcast, you love our podcast, you listen every week, don't be shy. Click on the subscribe button. You can have it delivered every week. You can get our insights, what we're thinking about investing, the markets. And if you really love our content, don't be shy again. Click the like button. All right, gentlemen, the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Bob, the NASDAQ composite went from 4,000 in June of 1999 to a peak of 5,000 in March of 2000, a month later. It's a 25% return in a month. Then it went on to lose one third of its value and wouldn't hit its high again until 2014. Well, of course, Ry, that was then and this is now. I was talking to a buddy of mine, he's a good client, and he said, you know, I never thought the NASDAQ would ever get back to 5,000. And here we are at 14,000 right now. Pretty amazing. Unbelievable. Time heals all wounds in the stock market. Chris, Spain recently attracted 65 billion euros of orders for a $5 billion euro 50-year bond that, get this, only pays 1.658%. Boy, that sounds pretty amazing. I could tie my money up for 50 years at 1.658%, considering inflation at 2%. So basically, over time, I'm guaranteed to lose on average about a half a percent a year. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a great deal to me. Bob, Colorado topped $2 billion in marijuana sales through state dispensaries last year, putting it on par with Canada and raised $387 million in taxes and fees. Virginia legalization appears eminent, which will bring the number of recreational pot states up to 16. With those kind of tax dollars, man, I think it's going to 50. Well, I thought a lot of people were moving because they want to go from a high tax state to a low tax state. Maybe they're moving because you can get marijuana. I'm not sure, right? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Chris, about 250 SPACs raised $83 billion in 2020, six times more than the previous year. Just six weeks into 2021, the numbers already reached half of what it did last year. Of the 115 completed SPAC mergers from 2016 to 2020, 65% of the stocks have declined a month after the merger closed and 71% were down a year later. That's a horrible return. I can see why people are so excited to run into these SPACs, especially considering they have a 70% chance of losing their money. Sounds like Wall Street putting together these SPACs is the one making the money here. Just saying. So, Bob, the first electric age effectively ended in 1915 after Henry Ford and Thomas Edison teamed up to take a crack at electric vehicles. The stately battery-powered sedans of the pre-World One era appealed mostly to well-to-do urbanites. President Woodrow Wilson drove around the White House grounds in his Milburn Electric. Apparently, these vehicles were too slow, too heavy, and too costly. Well, you know, the uh, White House now has a limousine that the president drives around and called the Beast. 
I can't imagine that being powered by an electric engine, but it's coming. Chris, back in the year 2000, the fiscal year produced a $236 billion federal budget surplus. The government actually had money left over. Now, the Congressional Budget Office this past week raised its fiscal 2021 red ink forecast to $2.3 trillion in the negative, or 10% of gross domestic product. Well, you never want to underestimate the government's ability to spend other people's money. So I'd imagine at some point in the future, taxes are probably going to go up. We're definitely going to pay for it somehow. Well, guys, another great show today. If you like our show, you love our show, please subscribe, leave a comment. That's it for this week. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Oh,